And, you know, when we talk about that, there is an element of post-traumatic growth. And I'm always very sort of saying to people, you know, how will you feel when you come out of this, when you, there's a there's sort of an acceptance of a learning to live with this. And I think that's what we've experienced. I think that's what we're experiencing right now, some post-traumatic growth. This is Crisis Cast 2020 with me, Toby Goodman, a podcast where I get timely wisdom from experts in life and business. These guests will answer my five questions, sharing wisdom and insights to help you and me get through this global shitstorm. Today on Crisis Cast 2020, British clinical psychologist Dr. Anna Simmons. Anna is based in Nottingham, here in the UK, working privately and in the public sector as a key worker. So, of course, I was extra grateful that she took time from her important and busy schedule to speak with me. In this chat, she shares her expertise and insights about how we can help reintegrate our children back into the school system, how to support young adults transitioning to their next phase, and the long-term benefits of pain. Before we start the show, I have something for you if you identify as pod curious. It's perfect for you if you're an expert, consultant or business owner. Maybe you're wondering if podcasting is worth the effort, especially now, or perhaps you've tried podcasting in the past but have been disappointed with the results. In this free guide, Podstar, I'll share the exact seven steps we use to help publish over 2,000 podcasts each month. To get instant access, go to podcastnetworksolutions.com. Dr. Anna Simmons, welcome to Crisis Cast 2020. Thank you for joining me. Hello, thank you for having me. Now, you are a consultant clinical psychologist, but before we get into the specifics of your work, I'm wondering on a personal level, what's been your experience, where you are in, in the UK? Give me a breakdown. What's going on? So you're right, I'm a psychologist. Um, I'm based in the Nottinghamshire area, still working during coronavirus because I've managed to move everybody over to Skype sessions, which is proven to be just as effective as face-to-face therapy. It feels quite strange sometimes, but we know the research says it says it's just as effective. So luckily been able to continue to support people through these difficulties because as you're aware, people are really struggling and so they need the support more than ever. Tell me about on a personal level, how that's changed other than, of course, uh, the fact you're working on Skype or Zoom or whatever's happening, that, that seems to have been, I guess, a given now. You've got a couple of kids. Like, has, it, has it affected your routine massively or was it quite an easy transition? Um, I think like most things that make us anxious in life, the thought of it, the anticipation has been worse for me than the actual doing it. So I do feel in a privileged position in that my children have remained at school throughout it because because I'm a key worker and that's allowed me to carry on doing my job. Um, I have two jobs. I also work at the University of Lincoln um, and a doctorate in clinical psychology two days a week. And that's continued running as I was going to say as normal, nothing's quite normal, is it, at the moment, but uh, as, as standard as it can. And um, so by having the children at school, it has allowed me to work. Obviously, I've lost the support that I relied on of grandparents and, and, and um, people like that. Yeah. I've had a number of changes going on in my personal life anyway. Um, and so, so coronavirus has sort of put a bit of a, a standstill on those or just kind of got in the way of kind of the processing of some of those events. But I do feel very fortunate that routine has pretty much been the same for me and my children. And I think that's crucially important when we're going through change is that we do create some kind of new routine if the old one can't be, can't exist. 
fortunate for me, the old routine has been able to keep going to some extent. Obviously, there's some changes as well. You know, obviously things aren't happening like cricket and piano lessons and things in the usual way. So I think it's still, it's still everything does feel different. But I think I've been relatively uh, protected from a, the, the huge changes that I see a lot of my clients and friends going through in terms of homeschooling and and being furloughed and things like that. But so, but I'm acutely aware of the impact of those changes for people because I'm supporting people therapeutically through it. And I think any good therapist doesn't have to have gone through the difficulties that they're helping somebody through uh, to help them and support them. I think it's just keeping an open mind at any point and understanding that those person's experiences are valid. Um, and even if I was homeschooling, my experience of homeschooling my children at 10 and 7 might not be the same as somebody else's experience of homeschooling. So as therapists, I think we do tend to keep an open mind anyway and don't, don't necessarily apply our own experience onto the experiences of other people. Yeah, right. So what are you seeing? Are you seeing when you're working with people, are there, have there been new anxieties coming to the fore or is it, is it broadly the same themes? Were you expecting what's coming up? What are you seeing? It's obviously changed across the, the lockdown period. And I think that's what's been very difficult psychologically for people is that, you know, we had the anticipation of what was going to happen. Then we had the reality of the lockdown. We've had to have the adjustment phase to the lockdown. And then we've had what's happening right now, as we record this sort of very beginning of July, is that people are um, having to reintegrate back into the world. And I think there's some real resistance to that. There's some real anxiety connected to that because some people, are saying to me I don't really want life to go back to how it was they've reflected on their lives and how chaotic it was they've also had a re-evaluation of their value so what's important so maybe it is important that you know you're not rushing your kids around everywhere and that you don't want to have to get up at eight o'clock on a Saturday morning or Sunday morning to go swimming and you've enjoyed not doing that and all the bigger things like you know working from home driving less um there's anxiety for people I think socially as well that are worried about sort of going to the supermarket for example either because they're worried about contracting something but also um the social interactions that are, that are there as well so people i feel have got a, a worried about well i haven't really been interacting with people so much i'm not i'm feeling quite anxious about how to do that but again everybody's experience is different but i think what's been hard psychologically is the constant readjustment okay so now we're in this phase and now i feel like this now i'm in this phase so i feel like this what we've lost, I guess, is a certainty of what's to come as well. So people are already talking about a second lockdown. Leicester, which is very near to me, has gone into lockdown again. Um, and so I guess people are thinking, how do we prepare ourselves psychologically? I mean, how do you prepare yourself for uncertainty? Um, it's not easy. I think we have to sort of try and pin ourselves on the things that do feel certain. Um, and for our children, we need to do that and we need to do that for ourselves. And it's about kind of being flexible in our thinking and adaptable. And we all have different degrees of sort of what we call cognitive rigidity, the, the stuckness of our thoughts and our ideas. But probably the most psychologically efficient people are people who have flexibility and adaptability around their thoughts and their situations. We've actually had quite a lot of practice at this since March. We've, we've probably learned how to be psychologically flexible because we've had to adapt to so much change. So if anybody's listening to this and they're thinking, yes, that's me. I feel really anxious about what's to come. I don't know if I'm still going to have a business or my children will be back at school. I would sort of say, well, don't underestimate your ability to adapt because you have done for the last three months, even when you didn't want to, you have done it. And probably if you look at it quite successfully because you're still here and you're still functioning. Yeah, I, I was I was really thinking about the Leicester thing just before we spoke. So I was knowing the geography of the country. I'm down in London, you're up in Nottingham, and just thinking, yeah, I, you know, I wonder if 
I wonder if you're thinking about have more anxiety or people in Nottingham have more anxiety about lockdown than we do because we seem to be okay at the moment. And yeah, there is an amount of flexibility. Uh, I was kind of getting a little bit addicted to the daily briefings. You know, I was doing my work and then I was not necessarily watching the daily briefings that the government here were doing, but but knowing that there was going to be some news at uh, around six o'clock, you know, and thinking, right. And then they decided to stop it because on the scale, we're a bit better. But now there's another lockdown and it's, yeah, it's, it's constant flexibility um, and trying to just stay in control of what we have control of. That makes sense. Like um, I, I was also watching a video called How to Support Children return to school post coronavirus which is one of your videos so i'd love to get get more more from that like has that how's that been going have you been talking to people about helping kids return because that's a hot topic in my house for sure mm, absolutely and i think it's hot for children and parents because yeah. i think as parents we have to be okay don't we're the epicenter really emotionally of our families if we're not okay our children aren't okay and they very much get the messages from us when things well, we're not okay that they're not okay or the world isn't safe so they're not safe so I think it is a big issue I think people have different views about it and some people are very fixed in there my child's not going to go back to school till there's a vaccine and then you've got other children, parents who are quite frankly quite desperate and struggling um, and then you've got understandably anxiety in the children themselves especially those who are about to go through a change perhaps currently in year six going into year seven so you're starting the senior secondary education and for those children uh, taking GCSEs and A-levels who are about to start in those, those years in September that would be the start of those um, those year groups so there's a lot of depending on where the child is obviously handle the the feelings differently um I would say as a parent it's just really crucial that you hear your child and that you give them the opportunity to say how they feel knowing that children don't always express how they feel through their words sometimes it can be through their behavior so particularly with younger children you might find that the child um their behavior becomes different. They might push people away or they might start to not sleep at night or they might really struggle to uh, be expressing how they feel um, rather than actually saying to you, I'm really anxious about going back to school. I'm really, I'm really finding this difficult. Uh, you might not get such clarity as that. And it's our job as parents though to mimic that back to a child. So if you see your child not sleeping or mithering at night or they start to worry about other things, it's about saying to them, you know what, maybe you're actually, you could, do you think you might be worried about school? I wonder if you might be concerned about going back to school and labelling that feeling for them. I think with older children, secondary children, they, they might be able to verbalise it a little bit more. But I think it's, 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 it's really important that we as adults just have the space to hear for children and label back to them what they're what they need to feel as a parent my fear of labeling it for them is then giving them something new to worry about that they actually weren't worrying about like is my six-year-old kid sulking because uh simply because we wouldn't let him play on the ipad for uh, another hour or is it because he's got genuine anxiety about going back to school in september i have no idea so the fear the fear as a parent i guess is to like go what is this it? And like, and I'm, I either I'm doing it or perhaps my wife's doing it. And the thought from the other parent is, well, don't give him stuff to worry about if he's not worrying about it. Uh, my situation is that the three-year-old is now 
back in nursery and he's loving it because he's that kind of personality. And the six-year-old who's at home uh, is really happy to be at home because he's sort of really shy anyway. So we, I suppose we've lucked out in that that's the situation. But yeah, what, what's, your, what's your thoughts around labeling or over-labeling? Like where, where's the line for me and other parents? I think parents always worry about getting it wrong (laughs) and labelling the wrong feeling. But my experience is that if you do get it wrong, even if the child goes, no, it's not that, you've got it wrong. That's still really useful for the child and for you. It's useful for the child because it makes them start to think about, oh, okay, but why am I having this tantrum or why am I really upset? You know, it starts them at least ruling out what it isn't about. So it starts a conversation in their heads and also with you about what that might be about. Mm. Um, And as a parent, I think it's really important that we're showing, it's a connection with the child, isn't it? If you're kind of thinking, if you say, I wonder if you're, I can see you're struggling. I wonder if you're struggling because you're feeling worried about school. You know, it shows that child, even if you've got it wrong, even that child might use it. (laughs) You know, it kind of shows that they, you know, they, they know that you're getting it. You're kind of like a form of empathy, really that you're Mm. understanding what they might be feeling. So you still make that connection, which is really important. And obviously just, you know, you've got to think about, you know, the options. Clearly you're thinking is the child on the iPad because he wants to be on the iPad or is he trying to distract himself and thought of going back to school, whatever it might be. What I would say is before you label a feeling, just be, have a little think about it before you do. But I mean, I think it's a really useful technique, you know, even when you see your children and they're tired, you know, and they might be ratty and they don't know they're ratty because they're tired unless you teach them and you learn to teach them how to connect their body to their feelings. And you say, I think, I think you might just be really, you know, you're really struggling because you're so tired. You know, and, and also adding up, and I get it, I understand, you know, um, so just trying to, to connect with the child in that way, labelling the feeling, like I say, even if you've got it wrong, I don't think it's a problem, I don't think we need to worry. Obviously, we don't want to put words in children's mouths, I think that's what you're saying, of things they're mm. not worried about. Totally that. But if the child then sort of exhibits any signs of worry, you just manage those, you know, yeah. with a bit of reassurance. So even if you thought the child might be worried about going back to school and you label that feeling for them, you know, you would be probably prepared in your head to have a conversation along the lines of, you know, look, it's going to be okay. We can do hard things. Think of the things that are going to be fun about school. Don't just, you know, and and guiding them through it, you know, taking every step at a time. Let's just think about getting to school and let's just get you through to lunchtime or school's going to look very different as well. I mean, you know, I I talk a lot with schools and teachers really don't know what things are going to look like, even though, you know, we're going back to school in three months. Um, And so there's lots and lots of uncertainty for people. And I think what we have to manage in our children is the uncertainty. But what we can say to them is school's probably not going to be full on back five days a week as it stands in September. So even if you have got a child who's particularly anxious about going back, it's about saying that you probably do shorter days, you know, um, there'll be less people in the class. So things that might be making them anxious, you know, which would probably be the the thought of going back to school how it was before um, in all its full force probably won't happen for a while anyway, at least not in the UK. I don't think we're facing that right now in September. So there's going to be lots of changes. But I think it's about whenever we're going through changes with our children is sort of trying to pin on what is certain. You mentioned earlier about um, kind of what can we control? And that's really important. We don't want to feel out of control, any of us. We, it's an illusion that we are in control of our lives, to be honest, But because yeah. we're, we're definitely not. But children will always seek to know. They'll say, what's happening on Saturday? And when are we seeing grandma? And what are we having for dinner? And we automatically answer those things and go, okay, Saturday. 
and chips or whatever it might be. You know, we, we fill the gaps in. So we create this sense of certainty for our children and our parents did that for us as well. So we're conditioned really to believe that we have some sense of control and we don't. And I'm a real advocate for letting children sit in their own pain. So if you have a child who's anxious or worried, sit in that pain with them. We can't just take it away. We can't lie and say, yeah, she'll be back at school and it'll all be fine by October or whatever, because we don't know. So there's something the child will really learn by you saying, you know what, I'm really not sure. Nobody really knows right now. But what we do know is that for the next month or two, you will be at home with us. We know that is certain. And we know that when you go back to school, we will know more about it at the time. So you're trying to pick out the things that are certain within the uncertainty. And you're modeling for your child. Life is uncertain. Things happen out of our control always. And you can never deny an adult or a child, their emotional pain. You have to just ride it out with them. And just, again, you've got to be careful that you don't look too wobbly. But again, it's okay if you do wobble emotionally. You, you might have things going on for you. Maybe you you might be thinking, I don't know if I'm going to have a job to go back to, or I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay the mortgage, or we're going to have to move house. What, there might be some really big things going on for you right now. And it's okay that your children do see you wobble a bit. You know, let's not pretend that we're not human. But I think what's also important that they see alongside that is your resilience and how you're managing that. That's how your children will learn to see you cope in the harder times. So it's okay to to your child I don't have the answers to that but what I do know is this for example you will be at home with me for this time lots of reassurance you are safe you know you are loved you are held all those things amidst uncertainty and adapting to change and reassuring their ch- your child that you know we can do hard things unfortunately life is hard it is life is there's a component of life which is about suffering and okay we don't want to have to expose our children to that But someone I really admire, an author called Glennon Doyle, talks about how if you want your children to be wise and humble and, you know, decent people in society, unfortunately, they get that way through pain. But we can teach them how to do the hard things whilst they're young and we're by their side to do it. And you'll have been through hard things. You know how to get through hard things. Don't underestimate that you don't. So I think it's about thinking, what helped me get through this? And how can I help my child to get through this? And almost seeing them on a, we'll get through this together. Yeah, incredible. I'm wondering what sort of conversations we should be having with the, uh, should we call them young adults? You know, those those children who were denied that GCSE end of year piece, or just as they're leaving and going, like because they are massive rites of passage. Um, we were reading a few a month or so ago that Cambridge University was saying, "Hey, everything next academic year is going to be online." Um, you know, and maybe there'll be some contact at some point. But just to make sure we're delivering the core of the course, it's all going to be online. And I guess all those young kids are, um, or young adults are, are were so looking forward to that first year of um, fun and frolics, right? In their first year of uni. So, or, or, or maybe even just going and going into the workplace for the first time because they've finished their degrees or they've finished their GCSEs at any of those entry points you know, that I'm so grateful that I, I didn't have to go through that, you know? Um, so, so what, what are those conversations? What, what can we be saying to, to people in those m- mega transition points? I think it's acknowledging that it's 
really not very fair and it doesn't feel great. I think we have to acknowledge that. They're missing out on some huge developmental milestones, you know, saying I've been working with young people who are, you know, haven't had a chance to say goodbye to their peer group who sort of left school without a proper ending, you know, to the people in year six who are transitioning to year seven and okay, they can go back to school, but some of them aren't because of the risk or they might be shielding themselves or other people. And they are really being deprived of an ending and endings are psychologically very important. And how we learn to manage endings is important because endings don't always have to be negative. Um, they can be positive experiences, but we have to learn that. Um, I think there's a grief. It's a grieving process and we have to let our young people grieve and feel really sad that they're not getting experiences that they thought they would have. Even in itself, not taking your GCSEs and A-levels. For some people I'm working with, I mean, they think that's brilliant. <laughs> They've yeah. not had to do that. But for others, it's really anxiety provoking. And they almost wanted to do them because they'd spent years working up to them. And it's a natural order, isn't it? You, you do your your schoolwork for two years and you take these exams and they've been deprived of that experience. And I don't think we can then deprive them by saying, oh, it's all right, don't worry about it, be all okay. I think it's really important we say, you know what, that's really, really difficult for you. And I understand how hard that is because they are being deprived of something. And we can't really make that up. I mean, it's having a conversation with somebody who finished, um, you know, her school A-level year just this week. And she was saying how they might have a ball or a prom, they might not. And when will that happen? If it happens next year, will it feel right anyway? So there's no making up, I don't think, that we can do with it. I think, again, it's just sitting with the discomfort of it doesn't feel right and it doesn't feel fair. And knowing that as any normal grieving process, you've got to go through all the emotions, the rainbow of emotions that that brings you, and and know that at some point it will feel easier, but you've just got to let yourself feel angry about it. You've got to feel sad about it. You've got to feel disappointed um, and allow yourself just to sit with that pain and allow your young person, if you're parenting a child that age, just that knowledge for them, how painful this is. Don't try and cover it. Don't try and say it will be okay. It's not okay. They've been deprived. So acknowledging that is hugely important. In some ways, it feels like we are already on the other side of this in in a way we're we're just dealing with the constant uncertainty of okay well we're past the peak but now there's going to be another peak or whatever so so we we we've spoken about that so uh, are we already there then i mean i i don't want to i don't want to use the phrase new normal but there's there there kind of doesn't seem to be an end in sight so um do you feel do you feel that this is these are now the constant conversations we're having with with people about about the fact they've been denied stuff and, and yeah, it's unfair. Like what can we ask them to do instead or what can we help them to do instead of uh, post acknowledging the, the, the shit situation? Um, what, what can they do? I think it's about focusing forwards, isn't it? I think we all need to be mindful in the moment and how we feel, but then times are hard. I think it's also acceptable to focus forwards and to know that although it's a new normal, and you've probably adjusted very well to it. Like I say, you've adapted for the last three months without wanting to or would wish that at the time you didn't have to. You've, you've adapted probably very well if you're still here and you're listening to this. So, mm. you know, knowing that you can, having faith in yourself that you can adapt and you can adjust. And at some point, life will very slowly, slowly 
resume some kind of sense of normality. I think, I mean, even when I go to my local shop, I sort of don't question now the way that it works. I just accept that I have to go in a one-way system and I stand far away from the person in front of me in the queue. It actually has become the new normal. And I think restrictions will change very slowly. And I think that will help us. I think we will adapt back very slowly to life. Um, And I think it's just about acceptance. Whenever we have resistance about things and we sort of say, oh, but I don't want to have to get a coffee like this or I don't want to have to do this. It, it just creates emotional conflict. That's what creates the stress. I want it to be like this and it should, but it should be like this. And the, the difference between those, the disparity between those is what causes the emotional conflict. So I think it's partly about just trying to accept things and saying to ourselves, I just need to, I'm going to accept and do my best to accept this situation for what it is, knowing that it doesn't last forever. Nothing life is temporary, whether you see that as a positive or a negative thing. Is What have you seen since this all kicked off that's impressed you from from people or you know whatever I think what's impressed me is people's emotional resilience at a time when they felt very weak so before when we were approaching lockdown and the beginning of lockdown I think there were lots of scared people who were having lots of kind of thoughts about their future and not knowing where life was going and in psychology we have uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and it starts with the bottom of the triangle which is very much you need things like to know you've got money coming in you need to know where you're going to be living and that sort of thing and really what happened was a lot of us felt that bottom part shake and if that bottom part like foundation is not solid the rest of this sort of it's a triangle but essentially it's like a house you know the rest of it can't be built on top and so things like taking care of ourselves eating well trying to be a good parent those sort of things feel even harder when the the foundation is shaken so what I've seen I think over the course of this is people actually reaffirm the foundation and people come through things with a degree of resilience they didn't know they had and you know I work with lots of people who experience trauma and have very difficult life situations and you know when we talk about that there is an element of post-traumatic growth and I'm always very sort of saying to people you know how will you feel when you come out of this or when 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 you there's a there's sort of an acceptance of a learning to live with this um and I think that's what we've experienced I think that's what we're experiencing right now some post-traumatic growth and that people are working out what's important to them they're re-evaluating their lives I see and hear people who are having new and different friendships and perhaps letting go of things that aren't as important to them. So I think we've all become, um, we've all tuned into what we know is better for us and we've been able to prioritise. I think what's also I've noticed in friends and clients is that a lot of people have allowed themselves to do some healing of things because they've had time. We've never really had time to sit with those things in our lives that are difficult or to think about things that are tricky. And we're very good, I think, at avoiding. We can work very hard. We can we can go out and see friends and do things and not really sit and think about the things within us that really need some sorting out and that really influence our behaviour on a day-to-day basis. And lots of people have started, haven't been able to avoid really sitting with some of the emotional discomfort and pain of things that have happened to them at any point in their lives. And I've been impressed with how people have sat with those things and um, have been able to whether that's through seeking support and therapy or that's just people being able to do that on their own or with the support of friends or family that's that's hugely impressed me I've never known so many of my neighbors until now are you getting that or are you in quite you're you're in quite a local place in terms of community and stuff I'm in London right so no one talks to each other in London normally yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. You know, I have seen that around me. I've seen that people, uh, we've had VE Day as well, haven't we, over here? So I've seen that people uh, are definitely kind of a sense of kind of more community spirit. Absolutely. Whether that will sustain, I'm not entirely sure. I think as human beings, we tend to default back to what we know. And I would say even from the VE Day things, it's uh, people then withdraw back into their lives again, but with some sense of extended connection. So I hope that those connections last. I would hope they would. I don't think we will suddenly start being best friends with all our neighbours but I think there'll be some degree of okay we can wave a bit more or we can ask them to do something or whatever you know look out for each other I would hate absolutely it's it's been funny here there's been mainly neighbours talking a bit more which has been nice but there's one guy who famously doesn't speak to anyone anyway and he's done he continues to not speak but the only thing he's done is he's put up additional security cameras so like I, I could only wonder what's going on in his mind you know about just oh, that sort of like yeah well the world has become more unsafe hasn't it that's what's shaken yeah. us really so his world if he's got a narrative of the world is unsafe it's become even more unsafe so I've got to defend myself even more that yeah yeah if you're thinking like that yeah and I had to have a chat with him about one of the cameras because it was pointing at my front door you know mm. so that was kind of like hey man you know I understand you might be feeling a little bit um whatever I said you know something diplomatic but just to let you know that's pointing at exactly where my children play so mm. um mm. you know you might want to look at moving the angle <laughs> so it's that's another that's, way to get you to know your neighbors isn't it yeah. you have awkward conversations with them. yeah that was that was a delicate thing because I I don't know him you know he just doesn't mm. talk to anyone so mm. but I know he lives alone and he's an older guy and I'm sure there's nothing in it and it's probably mainly that he's feeling a little bit um insecure about stuff so yeah, yeah. but but there's a camera pointing at my front garden you know yeah uh, that's not that's not on bit you're weird allowed, you're allowed to address that i think <laughs> so um what are you working on right now tell me tell me what's going on from a business standpoint how you're helping people where people can find you tell me about that stuff yeah, so lots of things happening. So um, coronavirus actually uh, pushed me into um, engaging more with building a social media audience. So I'm very much on Instagram and Facebook more than I have ever been in terms yeah. of business and also started a YouTube channel. Um, so if people just look for me with Dr. Anna Simmons, they can find me on all of those things. Um, Simmons is S-Y-M-O-N-D-S. Um, I've also got my own website where people can find out more about me, but I've also got a company I'm director of called Elysian Psychology. Um, and I'm sure you'll link that in the notes, but um, that's I've got a team of psychologists who... I completely trust and know are clinically excellent that work alongside me. So if I'm unable to take anybody on or it's just not the right, I'm not the right person for that person. I have a, a pool of psychologists that I can, I can work with. And of course we're mainly based in Nottinghamshire, but currently working with people all over the country because we are able to now that things have changed and people's expectations are different. So that's great. We can reach far and wide. Great. I'm going to make sure that I link everything in in the show notes of course um the youtube stuff is awesome and the videos are great there's been a really a constant conversation f for me with with clients and, and friends about how to do marketing ethically when when you're serving people that potentially are, are, are losing income and stuff and what i've seen you do is incredible because you're just putting a load of helpful stuff out there and it's a lot of effort right to create content all the time is is hard and you've got to think about it and planning it with the value that you're putting out there is it is amazing right i just you know watched watched one of your videos and 
genuinely found it helpful. So, oh, thank you, um, Toby. Well, that's uh, the intention. I just want yeah. people to feel like you've not got to, some people can't afford to pay for psychological support. Some people, it might not be right to engage in therapy, but just putting information out that people can that can watch um and just hopefully gives inspires people or hope or, or gives people some strategies to manage through a difficult time so thank yeah. you that's lovely feedback yeah it's awesome thanks. well thanks very much for joining me it's been a great chat and um i look forward to speaking to you soon thanks toby you too this episode of crisis cast 2020 was produced by me in london and kate astrakhan in michigan with artwork by ryan field and sound design by lee turner crisis cast 2020 is a production from podcast network solutions a full service podcast production company who are ready to help you plan record produce and promote your message with podcasting to find out more and grab your copy of podstar if you're feeling pod curious visit us at podcastnetworksolutions.com